want to turn to John chapter 8. <clears throat> Anybody got the Christmas shopping done yet? All right, Marty. All right, Dan. I can't raise my hand. Paula, good job, good job. You done, Lisa? No, no. That means I'm not done. <laughs> Anybody stressed out about Christmas? <laughs> That's good. So sometimes it can be very stressful. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing, what you've done, and what you are continuing to do in our lives, our families, this church body. We're so grateful to you, Lord. And Father, we ask that you would teach us today your word, that it would be practical so that we can take it, embrace it, and run with it. Because we choose by your grace to be doers of the word and not just hearers. We don't want to just be yes men or nod our heads in agreement, but we want to take the word and run with it, Father. Your word is our delight. We delight in your word, your principles, your laws, your commands. And Jesus, we do love you. And we prove that by obeying your word. So thank you for another opportunity to learn, to draw close to you, to be more effective in what you've called us to do, to see people saved, set free, healed, delivered, born again, Father. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> John chapter 8, verse 31. Continuing from last week. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. And he said, if you abide in my word. Or continue in my word. Then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Last week we talked about discipleship, and the name of the lesson last week was, Are You a Disciple of Jesus Christ? And so we're going to continue with that. And he said, If you abide in my word, then are you my disciples. And we talked about the fact that, according to the Great Commission, when Jesus, would, you know, his last words that he said to his disciples, his commission to them was to go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, not converts. He wasn't just interested in people just hearing the message and agreeing with it, but embracing the message, of course, being born again, but becoming disciples. And so we realize that our calling, according to that passage and others, is we're called to become a disciple and to go and make disciples. So if you ever want to know, God, what's your calling? What's my purpose in life? It's to be a disciple and to make disciples. And then we talked about what a disciple was. In Matthew 4:19, Jesus said to the, he said to Peter and, and to the guys, he said, "Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." And we talked about what a disciple was. A disciple, three parts. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, someone who is being changed by Jesus, because he said, "I will make you," and then someone who believes in and is committed to the, the mission of Jesus. He said, I will make you fishers of men. And so we know that our calling is about following Jesus and then uh, sharing the gospel with other people so that they can follow Jesus as well. And then Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me in Luke 9, 23, he says, if any, anyone desires to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
We realized last week that, uh, that in the church, and, and particularly in America, there could be a lot of people that say they believe in Jesus, they love Jesus. But Jesus said, here's how you know that you love me. Here's how you show that you love me, by doing what I say. And I believe it's Luke 6.36 or 3.36, 6.36. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? And so we're deceiving ourselves if we say we love Jesus, but we don't do what he says to do. And remember the verse we started out with. He says, if you continue in my word and continue means to do it, to to obey his word. If you continue in his word, if you do his word, then are you my disciples indeed. And what I want to talk about today is. I believe as a church, God is moving us towards intentional discipleship on purpose. You know, becoming a disciple on purpose, not just kind of happenstancely or accidentally falling into discipleship or, or falling, in, falling into a discipleship relationship, but on purpose, intentionally learning and growing, making myself a disciple of Jesus Christ and going after him. And also intentionally making disciples. So I think sometimes we, um, here in America, we, we think we're making disciples and it's kind of like a default. You know, if people, well, people are coming to church and I'm preaching to them, so therefore that's our discipleship program. You know, you, you know come to church, hear the word, worship and that kind of thing, and then you're being a disciple. And, and church, I believe Sunday morning church is a part of it, but I believe it's a small part of discipleship, of the discipleship process. And I believe the Lord is showing and teaching us how to be more intentional in this. And and so as we're learning and growing, we're definitely going to invite you to to run with us so that we can be more effective in the calling that God has. At the beginning of the year, I shared a couple of things that I believe God is doing and going to do. and, And you may or may not remember this. But there are two things I feel like the Lord told me that he wanted to develop here at New Covenant Fellowship. Two cultures. One was a culture of expectation. A culture of expectation where we come together and we expect to meet with God and we expect to encounter his presence. Just where we expect it. And we can expect it because of what his word says, his promises. You know, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. He shows up in a Now, see, we know God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, right? But there's a special manifestation of God. That happens when his people come together and worship him. Or when you worship him by yourself. Because the Bible says he inhabits, comes to dwell in the praises of his people. And when God shows up, when his manifest presence is there, things change. Things happen. And I believe in that situation, in that, in that surrounding, in that, that atmosphere, that environment, God wants to change our lives and draw us close to him. So it's like we fall more in love with him and he changes. He convicts us. He puts the fear of God in our hearts. So we want to run after him and draw close to him. And miracles happen. I mean, we hear a lot about miracles happening just being in his presence where you don't even have to pray for anybody. That's the level that I desire to see here where we just come into his presence and God just does this thing. And then lives are changed. People get saved, healed, delivered and all that kind of stuff. And if we have to lay hands on people, that's fine, too. But I believe God is developing and will continue to develop a culture here of expectation. And the second thing is, I believe he told me, is a culture of honor. A culture of honor where we honor one another. Where we love one another. For we prefer one another. For we bless one another. And then looking back, and, and you know when the Lord speaks things to you, shows you things that you believe he's showing you. And then as time goes on, it begins to make more sense and you begin to see, wow, that's scriptural. You know, develop a culture of expectation, a culture of honor. What does that come out of? The two greatest commandments are, the, are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I believe as we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we come and we worship God, we exalt and love him, 
And then he shows up. And we begin to expect that. We love God, worship him. His manifest presence shows up. And then also a culture of honor, loving one another, being intentional on loving each other. See, we would all agree with the doctrine of, I need to love my neighbor as myself. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, I give you a new commandment. A new commandment I give you in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So here again is a mark of discipleship. If I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, the world will know it by the love that I have for my other brothers and sisters. Does that make sense? And so what I believe God is wanting to do, he's going to help us do is create an atmosphere for relationship here at New Covenant Fellowship. An atmosphere for relationship or discipleship. In other words, it's going to create a relational environment. Because I believe true discipleship can only happen through relationship. And if you look at the, the one who modeled this for us beautifully, his name is Jesus. He drew men to himself. And he didn't just tell them a bunch of things to do and then leave them and go to some other people and say, okay, you heard what I said, now go do it. And then he got with some other people, told them some things, and then moved on. He hung out with those guys for at least around three years, three or three and a half years. He hung out with them. He ate dinner with them. He, they hung out and developed relationship together. As a matter of fact, when he, when he called them, you know, he spent time with the father, and the father gave him the names of the guys for him to draw to himself. He went and called them to be with him. He called them to be with him. And so he modeled relationship. As a matter of fact, one of the disciples that said, you know, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, did Jesus love John more than the other disciples? No, not necessarily. I don't think he did. But it just shows kind of relationship. They were probably closer. They probably hung out closer. You know, there was the 12 and then there was the three. There was a 12 that hung out with Jesus, but then there were three specifically that were probably his closer friends. And so we can see over and over and over again in the New Testament in Jesus' life that he modeled relationship. So his teaching, his teaching them, discipling them, wasn't just about information, although he gave them important information. But he demonstrated and modeled the information that he wanted them to participate in. So the point I'm trying to get at is the key, I believe, in discipleship is relationship. And I believe the church tries too often to do discipleship aside from relationship. But if we want to be effective disciples, that's got to change. Would you agree with that? I mean, just think about it. how long maybe you've been in this church, how long some of us have been in this church, and what's the level of our relationship? I mean, how much do we know each other? Now, granted, we're not going to all get to know everybody on the same level. But unfortunately, <clears throat> I don't believe we as brothers and sisters in Christ know each other as much or as well as God wants us to know each other. We don't have the kind of relationship, the depth of relationship that I believe God desires for us to have. And our culture, our American culture, our busy, task-oriented culture wars against relationship. But we think we have a relationship because we have Facebook. I mean, if you think about it. But we've never been more isolated because now we can just sit at the computer and type away and think I have all these wonderful relationships with all these. I have 7,450 friends. It's like, yeah, right. But we're so busy. We're so task oriented. And unfortunately, we, that, that becomes our life. That is our life. And so therefore, relationship gets put on the back burner and outside of our family. For the most part, we don't develop relationship. 
And because it's been that way for so long, <clears throat> even if we desire for a relationship, we really don't know how to have a relationship. We don't know how to do it. And so therefore, because it's uncomfortable and it's hard and everything, then we choose not to. And we just settle for status quo. Whatever's easy, what we're used to, we just kind of flow into that. And so then we drift further and further and further apart. And so getting back to the statement I made earlier, I believe God is wanting to create an atmosphere for discipleship. He's wanting to develop a relational environment here at New Covenant Fellowship. And I believe he wants that in his body altogether. But I'm speaking for our local body right now. And so how does that happen? And you know how we've been talking a lot about, um, maybe not so much recently, but for a while we've been talking about worshiping God, worshiping God, worshiping God, worshiping God. And as I said before, I thought that was just going to be a one-part series. I was just going to be a one-and-done type deal, but it went on and on and on because I felt like the Lord kept saying, keep talking about it, kept revealing things to share. And, and we talked a lot about worship. And looking back, I see the importance of if we want to love each other like we're supposed to and we need to so that we can grow properly and healthily, if that's a word, is healthily a word? It is now, yeah. Mark that one down. Put my name next to it. Healthily. <laughs> but if we want to learn relationships and do things the right way. I lost my train of thought. I got too excited about that new word I just developed. Anybody know where I was? Where was I going? Thank you, worship. Hallelujah. I worship you, Lord. Thank you. Getting back to worship. I realized later that God's intention was for us to learn and do worship, 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 worship. Because the pattern is, remember that Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. Which one comes first? Love God, love God. So as you worship and worship and worship, you're learning to and you're giving yourself to loving God. Love God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Heart, soul, mind. That's like all of you. Would you say that's all of you? So learn to love God, worship him, worship him. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay. He invites us to be emotional in our worship as long as our emotions don't drive us. It's okay to be emotional. But I realized he was teaching us a pattern to love him, and then we would be able to love one another. If you don't love God, and you're not growing your love for God, you're not going to be able to love each other. And so as he was, so I believe part of that atmosphere, or that atmosphere is going to be created through worshiping God, through loving God. Because then a whole lot of things come with that. When I love God and deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus and I'm going after him, then I'm laying down my life. I'm denying myself. It's those qualities that's going to allow me to begin to love other people the way Jesus loved me. The real kind of love, not the, the surface fakey stuff, but the real kind of commitment to one another. And that's what he's talking about. Jesus said. I've called you to love each other as I have loved you. And we saw what he modeled. He said, no greater love has anyone than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. We are called to lay down our lives for one another. But if we're not in relationship with one another, it's probably not going to happen. And laying down our lives, if it, if it means dying for somebody physically, Okay, but I don't really think, I mean, that may happen, but that's not the majority of what, how that's to be lived out. Laying down my life means, in a practical, everyday sense, putting aside my wants and desires so I can serve my brothers and sisters. And we see that's what Jesus did. He put aside his, you know, he didn't come to, to be served, but he came to serve. Remember he said that? He came to serve. It's like, wait a minute, you're the king of glory. What are you doing? Remember, he took off his... He uh, 
took the water and everything was going to wash their feet. That's like the worst thing. That's the lowest of the lows. You know, servants do that, wash feet. And Jesus took that upon himself. He gave us an example to love each other, to serve each other, to honor each other, one another. Our desire ought to be that I want to do everything I can to make my brothers and sisters around me successful. That's what our desire should be. I want you to be successful. How can I help you? How can I help you go after what God has for you? So, he wants to uh, create an atmosphere for discipleship, a relational environment. How do we do this practically? <clears throat> and this should be a priority to us. Allowing God to develop a, a, a relational atmosphere. For that to happen, we have to cooperate. Because it's not going to just, you know, we don't snap our fingers and it happens. We have to cooperate and participate. And if we do what we can, we do what the Lord shows us and graces us to do, and we do that, and we're all doing that together, then guess what? There's going to be a different environment around here of relationship. You know, the purpose of the NFL thing that we do on Sunday nights, you know what, why that is? For relationship. For relationship. You know, most of the guys who even show up for that could care less about sports or football, and they keep coming. So I think that's pretty cool because it shows what it's about and what it's not about. And seriously, you know, when I say I don't even know who's playing tonight, that's not, I'm not just being silly. I really don't know who's playing tonight. Last week, I didn't know who's playing either. And it's like, praise God, that's not the issue. It's about relationship. And see, as guys, we try to get together and we don't know how to do this thing called relationship. So we just kind of fumble around. But let's keep fumbling around until we figure it out. That's my invitation to you. And so when this thing ends, tonight's the last time, because in a football schedule, it'll change and there won't be any more Sunday night games. And so coming into the new year, we don't know what we're going to do, but we believe God wants to continue this thing somehow. And so we're going to say, okay, Lord, show us what to do next. And I believe as we continue and we learn and we lay down our lives and we become willing to be uncomfortable... Become willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of relationship. Then we're going to grow in that. And us men, we need, now I'm not saying women don't, but ladies, you have an advantage over us. You, you know how to do relationship more, better than we do. And so us guys are behind a little bit, but hey, we're catching, we're going to catch up. We're going to say, hey, we're going to figure this thing out. Because we're recognizing the importance of relationship. And I cannot be an effective disciple of Jesus Christ and make disciples unless I know how to do this thing called relationship. And what I mean by relationship, I mean getting involved in each other's lives. Sharing life together. So what are some practical things we can do for this relationship environment? Uh, turn to um, Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Now we now to the NIV translation. It says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So he says to live a life worthy of the calling I've received. So as I'm born again, I'm, I'm a born again Christian now. So I'm to live the life worthy of the calling. So, so now that you're born again, here's how you should walk it out. And he goes right into be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So here's what I need, the characteristics I need to move into an, a relational environment. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another or putting up, excuse me, or putting up with each other. And make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. You know, we all agree that unity is very important in a church, right? We would agree. And we desire unity. 
But I think sometimes we don't understand how we get unity. You know, sometimes we think that if we can stand together and hold hands in a circle and sing a nice song, then, hey, we're all singing a song together. Sounds really good. So we got unity. And that's not all there is to unity. And right here he says, make every effort to keep. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, there's going to be resistance to unity. Would you agree with that? Do you think there's resistance to unity? What do you think one of the enemy, the enemy's, one of his strongest weapons is? Disunity. Disunity. A house divided against itself will not stand. So a united house will stand or can stand. Jesus said, I will build upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church should be prevailing over the gates of hell. But if we are in this, if we are not unified, if we have disunity, then we will not be able to stand. We will not be able to stand. So we have to make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity. And so I want to talk about the efforts that. That the Holy Spirit is inviting us to embrace and he will give us the grace to be able to follow through with what he's telling us. First one, talk about four things today, if I have time. Turn to James chapter three, chapter two, excuse me. Actually, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. So you can mark this down if you're taking notes. James chapter two, verses one through four. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meetings dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention in a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discriminate? Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? This is a passage that probably all of us are familiar with. And, you know, I don't think we're necessarily, you know, you see a poor person come in or a person with less, and we're not going to tell them to sit on the floor. You know, we're not going to do that. I wouldn't think we would. And so I don't really think that's the issue here. But the issue is, he says, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? But the problem that I believe the Lord wants to address here is we segregate ourselves. We separate ourselves from one another, whether it's social class, whether it's ethnic class, whatever it's whatever class we separate. We see a person that's different from us and then we've made judgments in our in our heart. And then we. We put because someone will come in and either in our inside, we will draw towards them or we'll push away from them. Depending on what we come up with in our in ourself. We discriminate and we don't necessarily realize it. This becomes a natural thing we do. And that's what he's wanting to deal with. We need to overcome that discrimination. Because as, as long as we stay segregated and isolated and in our little cliques and everything, then. We're not going to be able to experience the, the level of glory of God's glory that we want. You know, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. You know that passage? And at the end it says, there the Lord commands his blessing. Where brethren are dwelling together in unity. God commands his blessing. So if we want to see a higher level of God's blessing on this place, then unity will bring that. Because God commands his blessing. And so what we have to do is we have to we have to break out of our social comfort zones. We've talked about comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of the boat. Lisa talked about that a little bit ago. Get out of the boat, your comfort zone. We have to get out of our social comfort zones. In other words, we're so used to associating with certain people. And we don't feel comfortable associating with other people. Well, we can no longer let that be what guides us. Because remember, Jesus said 
By this will the world know that you're my disciple, by the love you have for one another. Remember that? Now, when he was talking about the love you have for one another, do you think he was talking about the love you have for one another in your social zone? Because even Jesus said that the Gentiles or the heathen, they love their friends. In that passage, he's talking about love your enemies and bless those who persecute you, that kind of thing. And he was saying this, this difference should mark God's children, that we love our enemies. So there should be a difference. There should be a way that we associate with each other different from the world. There should be a noticeable difference. And see, the thing is, is God doesn't give us his commandments and say, all right, you see this now, do it. He gives us his commandments. He shows us his heart through his word. And then he gives us the grace, the ability by the Holy Spirit in us. He gives us the ability to do it. So he tells us to do it. And then he gives us the ability to do it. But then it's up to us to do it. We have to choose. And uh, there's a passage. Let's see if I have it written down. Yeah, 1 Corinthians, mark this down in your notes. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I wanted, I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid foods, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? They were segregating. They were saying, you know, Paul's my leader. Paul's my discipler. He's the one that I follow as well. Apollos, he's better than Paul. And so they had cliques in the church. And there was jealousy and there was all this junk going on. And Paul was pretty frustrated because he wanted to come and deal with greater spiritual things, truths, but he couldn't. Because they were acting very immature. And so as we submit ourselves to the Lord and say, Jesus, I am your disciple. I want to be your disciple. And we allow him to let us grow in those things or we we grow in these things, then we're going to move away from this kind of kind of immaturity. Am I making sense so far this morning? Are you with me still? Because it's these practical kind of things that can either hold us back or launch us forward into the things of God. Let me ask you a question. What does God want us to have? Or a move in? You know, power, you know, signs, wonders, healings? Or loving each other? It was a trick question. Both. But see, we think that, though, because one sounds more spiritual than the other. He made provision for us. Of course, he wants us to love one another. But he also wants us to set the captives free. He also wants us to lay hands on sick people to get them delivered from demonization, all that kind of stuff. He wants both. He paid for it all to happen. He didn't give us the luxury to pick and choose. He says, my children, here's what I want you to do. Let's go. I made all this provision available. Let's go. Let's do it. But here's how you have to do it. And he talks about these things. He lays these things out. And we should be pursuing all of God, all of his provision, not just the stuff that sounds more spiritual. Okay, I just wanted to throw that in there. Okay, so we need to break out of our social comfort zones. If we want to be a church that reaches across all social ethnic barriers, it must start with you. This is an individual thing. Because <clears throat> so we can be excited about and boast that our church has a, a diversity of, of cultures, a diversity of ethnicity or, 
or social status or whatever. And we can be all excited about that. But how do you relate personally to the different ethnic groups or the social economic groups or whatever? Because if we as individuals allow God to deal with our hearts in this area and we love people the way he wants us to love people, this church is going to go crazy. It's going to explode. We're not going to be able to keep people out of this place. By this will the world know that you're my disciples, the love that you have for one another. What is it that people are really looking for? Love. Unconditional love. Being accepted. But the reputation that we have as a church is the fighting, the backbiting, and that kind of stuff. And they make fun of us for it. But when they see that we're not doing that, that we're different, they say, hmm, what's going on here? Yeah, I want to come check that out. I want to get a little bit closer. Get to know each other in the church. Get to know others in the church. You have to be definite about stepping out of your comfort zone and embracing other people, meeting other people. You know, the, the, minute, the few minute break that we have um, between, you know, the break we have. Utilize that to not just hang out with your friends, because you're going to hang out with them throughout the week anyway. You're going to call them on the phone anyway. You're going to spend time with them anyway. Utilize that time to get to know people that you don't normally spend time with. But don't let that be the only time you spend. Let that be the initiator. And then determine, hey, let's get together this week. Can I take you out for a cup of coffee? Or can I, would you like to come on that? You know, something. Be definite. We'll get on that more. But we have to reach out. You have to go outside of your way. Go out of your way to reach out. Because it's not natural. I mean, don't you feel uncomfortable? You see someone you don't know that well. And to, let's say I know Steve real well. And I see him during the break. It's real easy for me to go, hey, Steve, how's it going? You know, blah, blah, blah. And we talk and everything. But this person over here, I don't know that well. It's not natural. It's not comfortable to break away from what I'm used to. To go over and say, hey, what's your name again? I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) And to talk to him and engage in a conversation with him. It's not natural. It's uncomfortable. And so then I allow that uncomfortableness to keep me away. And I say, well, maybe next time. Maybe next time. And then we keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And I appreciate what what Todd does. He has us, you know, when worship starts, you know, mix it up. You know, get to know people, get to, you know, greet people. And we need to take every opportunity we can to reach out to each other. Okay? Number two, First um, Peter 4, I'm reading this out of the Amplified. First Peter 4, chapter, excuse me, First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. It says, but the end and culmination of all things has now come near. Keep sound-minded and self-restrained and alert, therefore, for the practice of prayer. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. Practice hospitality to one another, those of the household of faith. Be hospitable, be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way who are of Christ's body. And in each instance... Do it unbegrudgingly, cordially and graciously without complaining, but as representing him. I thought this was fascinating how he says in verse seven, but the end is near. Paraphrasing the end is near. So here's what you need to do. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. So in other words, the end is drawing near. So love each other and be hospitable. Those two things. You know, the end is near, so love each other and be hospitable. It's like, wow, that, for some reason, that just caught my attention because it shows the importance and the premium that God puts on relationship. Even though the end is near, you know, all hell's about to break loose, but love each other. 
and practice hospitality. Hmm, I think he's trying to make a point. Practice hospitality. We need to commit to this lifestyle. Commit to practicing hospitality. Everybody would agree that's a nice thing. And some of us are graced with the gift of hospitality. Some of you can, I mean, you do hospitality crazily awesome. It's another word. Mark that one down. I mean, it just oozes out of you. I've been around people who, they're just good at hospitality. The Cornelius's are one of those, uh, Edwin and Tasha. They're very hospitable people. It's like I'll go over there sometimes and all, all these people there. It's like, what are these people doing here? They just want to be around them. Because a hospitable person is someone who people like to be around because they make you feel comfortable. They, they want to serve you. They want you to have a good time. And there's many of you in here who are very hospitable. I mean, I've had food that I don't really like. But a person with the gift of hospitality, they make it and it's like, mm, this is good. I can't get enough of this. I'm going crazy here. I remember uh, Chantel. She made a Chantel Doty. Um, her husband's working in a different place. So they're not here right now. Oh, by the way, she, I texted him yesterday. She said, tell everybody hello. So Chantel says hello to everybody. I remember one time she came to our, they came to our house and she brought this cake and it had coconut in it. Now mark this down in your notes. I do not like coconut. Okay? So if you want to bless me with something, just make sure it have coconut in it. But she made this cake and it had lots of coconut on the top. And she's just a neat lady. You know, I believe she has the gift of hospitality. And I couldn't stop eating that cake. At first, I was scraping the, the coconut off. You know, get rid of the nasty stuff. You know, eat the yummy stuff. But then as I kept eating more of the cake, I would leave more and more of the coconut on there. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I don't like coconut. And it's just, I just think it's just the grace and the blessing of God on that individual. And it just permeates and affects everything they do. That may be a kind of a silly illustration, but those of you, some of you have the gift of hospitality. Keep doing it. Some of us may not have that gift, but that's no excuse. You know, when, when Peter said, when he was writing this, talking to the church, he didn't say those of you who have the gift of hospitality, be hospitable. He was saying, be hospitable. And so my point is that again, may be a very uncomfortable, hard thing to do. We may feel like we don't have anything to offer. Well, I can't afford hospital. I can't afford to have people over. I can't afford. What does it have to cost money? Or it can be very little. It can be very inexpensive. Or put it in your budget. Say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to put aside some money a month so that we can invite people over. Or I can take someone out for lunch. Or I can do this so we can practice hospitality. Because that's what the word says to do. So I want to encourage you to practice hospitality. You have to be committed to this lifestyle. And you have to be definite and specific. You have to come up with a game plan. Because I can bet this. When I say we need to be more hospitable, probably 80, 90% of you agree. Amen. We need to be more hospitable. But maybe only 10% of you will actually follow through with it. You know why? Because hospitality is not convenient. Remember our busy lifestyle here in America? We're so busy. Maybe if we turn off the Twitter or Facebook account, we might have some time for hospitality. No, Facebook is not hospitality. Okay? That doesn't count. But be specific and definite. I appreciate Pastor Dale telling us, challenging us this um, a while back. That Because see, he and Teresa, they are gifted with that. If any of you have ever been over to their house... And had their food, except the cottage cheese. <laughs> That's something I still can't touch. But when you go over to the house, I mean, they just serve you. It's wonderful. It's so funny because Teresa makes a salad. And then there's a salad, just a garden salad, and it has stuff in it. My boys can't get enough of her salad. I remember one time we, we had dinner with you guys, and then you... Gave, you sent us home with some leftovers, and there was a big bag of salad. And we went home, and our boys were there saying, hey, there's some, here's some stuff from Miss Therese and all that. And they said, did you bring any salad? They love Miss Teresa's salad. Now, what's so special about salad? It's carrots, it's tomatoes, it's lettuce, it's stuff. I can put that stuff together, but my salad, my boys don't rant and rave over my salad. 
I believe, again, it's that grace, that love that permeates that stuff. And it makes it wonderful. But he challenged us a while ago to be specific. Okay, if you're going to practice hospitality, say, all right, pick a day of the week. If you and your husband or wife, your spouse is going to do this, okay, what night of the week can we do this? How about Tuesday? We're not doing anything on Tuesday? No, we don't have anything on Tuesday. Okay, so Tuesday night is designated as hospitality night. Whether we're going to have somebody over, we may get invited over, or we may take someone out for coffee or whatever. You set aside a day and say, okay, this is our day of hospitality. And then, so then you have your, your plan, and then you go out and find your victim. And Sundays during the break, it's a perfect time to hunt down your victim. And make sure that victim is somebody that you don't know that well. You know, don't fill up your hospitality time with your best friends. Although I'm not saying kick them out and don't do that. I mean, because we're going to do that. We're going to make time for our friends, right? We're going to do that. And we're talking about making time for people we don't know well so we can get to know each other a lot better. And the last thing on hospitality, start now. Don't wait until you have time. Make time. Start now. And what I mean by this, I know we are right in the middle of a very busy season. So your hospitality calendar is all filled up with family and friends and that kind of thing. I understand that. What I mean by start now is determine now to start this plan. It's okay. We won't be able to start until maybe January 2nd or whatever. But this is what we're going to do. And start the plan now so that when that time comes, you'll be ready for action. Because if you say someday, excuse me, yeah, this is good, we're going to do this. Then January will come and go, February will come and go, March, April, May. It'll come and go, and, and you're still in the same, same situation. We have to be definite, and we have to be specific. Amen? I'm going to cover one more. I'm not going to have time. I'm not going to take time to deal with all of them. But one more I want to I touch on briefly. If we want to cooperate with God so that he can create an atmosphere for relationship in this church, then we have to deal with gossip. Gossip, 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 gossip. Is gossip a sin? Yes, it's a sin. But we don't see it as that big of a deal. But it's a big deal. If there's one thing that will create disunity real quick, one thing that will destroy relationships real quick, one thing that will undermine trust and loyalty and all that kind of stuff is gossip. Would you agree with that? Now, the hard thing about gossip, the challenging thing with it is that it's so easy to participate in without even realizing it. Just like grumbling and complaining. You know, sometimes you can go on and on and on and not even realize that you're grumbling and complaining. And that's why we issued a challenge. And we're still in the middle of that fast, right? We're still fasting from that, right? How's that been going with you? Now stop grumbling, complaining. <laughs> but has your awareness of grumbling and complaining increased? Have you been more aware? That's good. That's the purpose. It's to, to shine the light on it. The Holy Spirit reminds us so then. Because when we realize we're doing it, we still have the choice if I'm going to continue or not. And hopefully, because I don't want to continue in that, when I'm reminded of it or it's, I'm seeing it, then I stop. But it takes, it's so easy, it's such a natural thing that you, you can do it without even realizing it. The other day, you know, Ellen has that pink card on her desk. You know, it says, I will refrain from, I can't remember what it says. Something about not grumbling and complaining. And, uh, and I was talking to Todd about something. And I began to talk about this food that was served at an event. And I wasn't complaining. But I was. Um, can't think of another word for it. <laughs> okay, so I was grumbling and complaining. But it was funny because. Didn't even realize it because I was kind of making fun of this food, some kind of mystery, something. I was kind of making fun of it. And then and I'm sure it sounded like complaining. And then all of a sudden I got the I got the pink card waved at me. Hey, hey, hey. I was like, 
I got caught. I got busted, baby. So anyway, didn't even realize it, but it just shows how, not even realizing, you can fall into grumbling and complaining. Same thing with gossip. You know, it can start out as, I have a prayer request. I want to pray for so-and-so. Did you know? And then, then it comes. You know, all under the guise of we want to pray for them. But basically, I just want to use that as a front. Or not necessarily I wanted to, but I did use it as a front to gossip about them. Share all the juicy facts about what's going on. Read a, read a, a little something I pulled off here. It says, what does the Bible say about gossip? The Hebrew word translated gossip in the Old Testament is defined as one who reveals secrets, one who goes about as a talebearer or scandal monger. A gossiper is a person who has privileged information about people and proceeds to reveal that information to those who have no business knowing it. Gossip is distinguished from sharing information in two ways. Intent. Gossipers often have the goal of building themselves up by making others look bad. The type of information shared. Gossipers speak of the faults and failings of others or reveal potentially embarrassing or shameful details regarding the lives of others without their knowledge or approval. Even if they mean no harm, it is still gossip. As you're talking about somebody, would you want them talking about you the same way? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Would you want somebody, if you're, if you're in a small group, if we're in a small group, and let's say, <clears throat> say Teresa's not in this, she comes to our small group, but she's not there at that particular time. And then I say, well, I want us, we need to pray for Teresa. And then I begin to share details about why we need to pray for Teresa and all these, all these things. It's like what I want, if I weren't there, would I want Teresa offering prayer for me in the same way that I just brought that situation up for her? And when you think about that, would I want someone doing this to me? And most of the time it's like, heck no, I wouldn't want that. And that's why we need to be gu- uh, guided by that or gu- governed by the, the law of love. Do unto others as you'd have them, do unto others as I'd want them to do unto me. And there's a whole bunch more on gossip. There's all kinds of scriptures on gossip and everything. And, the, you know, the Bible in Proverbs is, is talks about it being a dainty morsel that goes down in the soul. In other words, gossip is fun. It feels good. There's a perverted satisfaction with gossiping. You know what I'm talking about? It's juicy and it's fun and it's exciting. And it's because it's, it's one of those forbidden pleasures. You shouldn't be doing it, but it's <laughs> we're doing it anyway, you know. And so it's so dangerous and so subtle, but it's so destructive. It's so destructive. If Jim Kleckler and I have a, a falling out, we say he offends me. He does something that hurts my feelings or whatever. And then I go tell uh, at the NFL, I said, man, I need you all to pray for me because here's what Jim did to me. And I begin to share with the brothers what, what he did to me. And then let's say, um, then Jim comes back, you know, he's like, man, I was wrong. He says, CJ, can I talk to you? We get together. And he says, you know, when I did or said this the other day, I was so wrong. Would you forgive me? Sure, Jim, I forgive you. See, he made things right with me. But guess what I did to Jim? I just crucified his character. Because all these other guys, see, they didn't see Jim get things right with me. And so as I tell these other guys, and then they tell other guys, and they tell other guys, and it spreads all through the church how Jim's such a jerk and how he treated CJ, but yet Jim got it right with me. But his character is, is decimated. So when gossip is very dangerous, because one, it causes people to take up offense. You know, me and Jim got things worked out, but somebody else is still mad at Jim because of the way he treated me. And I didn't know this person even knew about it. So I didn't go to him and say, oh, Jim and I got it worked out because I don't know that this guy even knows. You see how that spreads? And so we have to recognize that gossip is a sin, deadly, 
deadly sin. Do you realize, I believe it's Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18-ish, around there somewhere. I didn't look this up, but it just popped in my mind. I believe it's around there. It talks about there's sin things the Lord hates, seven, what's that say? Seven he despises or seven that are an abomination or something to that effect. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, you realize it talks about those who murder innocent people. And it talks about some pretty heavy stuff. Matter of fact, I'm going to turn there. And I'm going to close on this verse. Because it's too important to butcher like I am. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Close. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now, those are some pretty strong words. If God hates something, do you think it's something that we better watch out for? And then if he says an abomination, it's like he just went from one level to another level. It says, sixteen the Lord's hate, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. Those are pretty serious things, right? Listen to the last one. One who sows discord among brethren. One who sows discord among brethren. That's on God's abomination list. Gossiping sows discord among brethren and sisterin. God hates it. And so we have to see that this is a serious thing. And if we want to, if I want to love people, and I say I love people the way Jesus loves me and everything, then gossiping has to go. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not something you need to pray about. Well, I'll pray and see if God wants me to get rid of that. I can already tell you the answer. I can prophetically declare to you what his answer is. Stand with me, please. You know what's really exciting about this, what I'm excited about? As we embrace these things, as we grab a hold of this stuff and we run with it, we are going to be freaking out about how cool and how awesome and the wonderful things God's going to be able to do in our midst because we're lining up with him. We want to see God glorified. We want to see people saved. All we have to do is obey him. He wants to develop a relational environment in this place. And all we need to do is just cooperate. And I would encourage you to embrace what he's saying. And we'll be amazed. I really believe we'll be amazed at the outcome. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is good. Not always easy, but it is so good. And we do delight in your word. And Jesus, you came that we would have abundant life. You said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came that we may have life abundantly. And Lord, we know that we will experience that abundant life only as we obey you. Only as we walk in your ways. And that's what our desire is, is to honor you, to please you, to glorify you. To partake of your goodness, your promises. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your grace right now. Bringing conviction in our souls, and our hearts. Not just remorse, but true conviction. And with that grace... That enables us to repent and turn away from sin, oh God. That will, con- that will keep us from loving each other the way you want us to. And thank you for practical ideas of how we can reach out to one another and be hospitable. And get to know one another. And we thank you for this. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and our families. And we just bless you and we say, thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Well, God bless you this week as you have a wonderful time with family that are that you're either going to see or they're coming in. And we'll come and have a great time on Christmas next Sunday.